I guess let's start with the album, Weight of the False Self. And, you know, if memory serves me correctly, before the madness happened, which, of course, we got to get into because there's no way not to talk about the last year and change that we've all been dealing with. You alluded to being home this whole time. But I want to yeah. go. I want to go back to what wasn't it originally the album, the weight of the false self was originally supposed to come out in May, if memory serves me, May of 2020. Yeah, May of 2020 was the plan. So we had been on tour in the at the end of 2019 with Dropkick Murphys and Clutch, and that tour ended uh, mid October 2019. And we went home. We took about a month off, and then we went right in the studio. So we started demoing and recording uh, at the end of 2019, recorded the new album in January. You know, it was all wrapped up January, by the end of January, February. And uh, we put out a single, When the Blade Drops, as like a teaser for what's to come. That song wasn't on the album, but it was kind of a nice uh, gift for the fans, if you will. Like, you know, here's what's coming up. And and, uh, it's a great song. It stands on its own. So we released that single. But yeah, the album itself, we planned to put out in May. And then, of course, as we all know, in March, uh, everyone's world came crashing down. So we were kind of stuck and we had to come up with a plan B. Yeah. So a couple of questions about that. So obviously, album done well in advance. Once you knew the album was, was going to be delayed at that point, did you go back in and tinker with it anymore? Did you give it one more pass through or did you just leave it done as done? No, done and done is done. That was it. I, I think like we felt very comfortable where we were at. We were happy with the final product. And, uh, you know, you don't go back and second guess yourself because I think you lose a lot of the magic if you start tinkering and changing. You know, I guess we could have went in and recorded more, if anything. We could have done more songs. Uh, there are one or two songs floating around from the sessions that we haven't done anything with. So uh, maybe they'll make the next album. Maybe they'll come out on their own a soundtrack or something. I don't know. But there was uh, definite uh, leftover material from the session. So, oh, man, what's done is done. Like we said, the album's ready to go. And uh, it was ready to come out in May. And then our plan B was to, you know, once we got our sea legs through this whole thing and later on in the year uh we ended up putting it out black friday last november um right which uh you know was a good time to release it you know biggest shopping day of the year everyone was stoked for it and, and that was it i mean you know a handful of bands that i know have re- released uh albums in the covid era quote unquote it's tough man because you can't tour to promote it you know there's a time where you can't go to stores to get it everyone kind of thinks like oh yeah you'll just everything will be online everything will be online and and i don't think life is 100 percent there yet sure we do a lot online but people still like to go out and buy things and have things and hold things and, and the back when of you or i going out to buy a cd or a tape or something like you open it up and the smell of the ink and, and the new disc and everything like people yeah. still like that stuff. So it's hard to promote a record from that standpoint when there's a global pandemic going on. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of curious. Who was it that just said, ah, oh, forget it. Let's let's put it out anyways. Who, who was the guy in the band that said that? Like, let's just get this thing out. Well, Jamie's always at the spearhead of that. Uh, you know, he talks with the labels a lot. and He's the back and forth, him and our manager. So I think, but collectively, there was conversations going on about, okay, well, what are we going to do here? We need a different plan. We have this material. We do want to get it out because, you know, at that point, I think at the end of the year, you start to gauge, like, how much longer can this thing go on? Is it just going to be like, all of a sudden, we're going to open back up? Or it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse? Or you see some light at the un- end of the tunnel? You, you just don't know. So it's like, let's get it out. And, and we have tour in place and when we're ready to hit the road we'll we'll uh we'll be able to just jump right into that and promote it the album is another fantastic album i mean hatebreed never puts out a bad album there's never any skips on the album but i'm kind of curious for you do you have a favorite track on the album 
Uh, if I had to pick, I think it would be the herd will scatter because, of course, it's very drum heavy and I'm biased being the drummer. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's the first tune like that. I've done drum intro things on, on almost all of our albums for a song or two. But this one is the only thing that I've ever done and the band's done where it starts off with just a straight up drum solo. So it was a new idea, fresh idea for us. And it allows me to stretch my legs a bit and show a bunch of chops and, uh, shred it up so yeah of course i'm gonna say that one's my favorite but it's a great thrash tune anyway even like without the solo at the beginning it's just fast up tempo uh you're gonna drive fast if you're playing it in the car only took 20 years for you to finally get a tune that has a drum intro solo to begin the tune and this is 20 years for you and hate breed now right yes it is yeah i mean what do i gotta do to show some chops man 20 years It takes that long? Yeah, no, uh, 20 years, yeah. It's actually a little bit more than that if you're doing all the math collectively, because I was in the band in uh, the late 90s, 98 into 99 for about a year, and I did some touring with the band then and and then dropped out for a while and then uh, doing some other stuff with other bands and came back in 2001. But I've been back steady since 2001. So, yep, 20 years, give or take, who's counting? (laughs) Do you get like a golden bandana (laughs) or something or, you know, watch or something? Yeah, right, some kind of trophy or maybe like... Like uh, some kind of, yeah, uh, a wall clock or something I could hang on the wall. Like, you know, if I worked for IBM and made a milestone, whatever, they'd give you some kind of weird glass plaque or something. (laughs) Well, I I guess if nothing else, you get a beer to celebrate it with, right? As we get into Breed Brew number two. And I got to say, man, the the first one I ordered, was it last summer, I think, uh, the Live for This Lager? And that was certainly tasty. And I'm looking forward to the Perseverance Pale Ale. And did you get to pick the hops for this one? I think you're the, the beer guy in the band, right? the craft beer guy yeah it's well me and chris really are the are the craft beer guys yeah we and we've been hands-on with the with the brewer uh through the whole thing as you, as you could tell from the last beer the lift for this lager was a good success and uh we were just amped to do it you know and, and having the downtime it's the perfect time to be able to get lost in that whole process and be a part of it and promote it and market it and everything and taste test it and uh <laughs> yeah so so we're we're a part of it we work pretty closely with rob todd the man with two first names that's his name he's the head brewer at uh, Witch Doctor Brewing. And um, he's a, he's a, he actually, we have some history with him. He goes way back to the early days of the band playing basement shows and, uh, you know, playing around like the New England Northeast area. He would come out to the shows then. So he's familiar with the band. He knows the guys a little bit. So he was more than happy to do it. And he's a, he makes a great beer. The lager was on the lighter side. That was four and a half percent. And we figured for a second release, we would want to kick it up a notch, you know, do two different things. So we brought it to a, a heavier level with the beer by doing a pale ale. So the Perseverance Pale Ale is uh, 5.8%. So it's got a little more bite, a little more bang there. And uh, But we also released a non-alcoholic version, a malt beverage of the Live for This Lager. And both come in collector's cans and everything. So uh, it's cool for the fan, you know, not only to get the beer, but have something to put up on their shelf. So yeah, it's, it's been fun, man. You know, diving into the beer world, totally different for me. I also, uh, there's a local spot to me here. I'm in Poughkeepsie, New York, and there's a company called Halftime Brewing, uh, Halftime Beverage. Right. You can go to halftimebeverage.com, you know, so, so we wanted to, the brewer is, is in Southington, Connecticut, which doctor brewing, and you can get the beer there. You know, of course they have it on tap and they sell the cans there, but we wanted our fans to be able to access it too, because uh, how's someone in California going to be able to get their hands on it? So they can't necessarily just fly to Connecticut or, Hey, maybe if you're road trip. And so halftime was the key to that, uh, being able to ship it to the fans. They're able to ship to 30 different States in the country, fully legal. You know, they're, they're fast with their shipping process. You go right on the website, you type in your zip code, 
halftimebeverage.com, type in your zip code, and you can see if they ship to your area. And uh, if they do, we offer a couple different packages on their website where you can get the beer only, uh, non-alcoholic or the the, uh, Perseverance or... uh, we offered some swag packages with the beer, too, some combination stuff, a T-shirt package, a koozie, guitar pick, pin package. So uh, trying to make it a little more interesting for the fans and for the collectors alike. And uh, just for the beer nerds, man, beer culture, it's a good beer, and we're really proud of it. Yeah, man, I loved, loved the first one and got one, you know, left one behind sitting on the shelf and going to add the Perseverance Pale Ale uh, to the collection thanks to halftime. As far as the hops, did you pick out the uh, Pale oh, Ale? Oh, yeah, right? yeah, the hop, right. Yeah, uh, It was kind of like a collective thing with Rob. I mean, he's the man who's steering the ship. So uh, he's, uh, you know, him and his vast uh, chemist and beer knowledge, um, he knows what's going to work with what. And we had originally talked about doing something different than the pale ale, something uh, going down a different road with beer, but uh didn't end up happening. I don't want to say what it is yet because who knows, maybe we'll end up doing it. And I don't want to give out any, uh, give away any tidbits. But um, yeah, it was working with him. Like he had suggestions on the hops and uh, the brewing process and how, how we can brew quickly to make the previous beer a non-alcoholic and get it out quickly. So yeah, going back and forth, coordinating with the brewery on uh, getting the label made up and making sure, uh, you know, Connecticut and all the other states, everyone, they operate by strict laws. So you really got to fall in line and jump through a lot of hoops to be able to get this up and running. You know, so it's it, it's funny, you know, I'm learning as I go. It goes way beyond just uh, being in a room and brewing some beer. Right. There's so many moving parts. It, it's like the music industry. You know, there's a, a lot of things, a lot of T's you got to cross and a lot of I's you got to dot and uh, make sure everything's covered before um, it's it's up and running and ready to go. You know, you talked about the uh, the non-alcoholic live for this, and I'm kind of curious, Is it, was that uh, specifically for Jamie? Because I know Jamie's sober and was kind of curious about that, too. If he's one of those guys, it's totally fine with you having a beer around him, or kind of like, I know some sober artists like don't want to see any booze inside, but I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit. You know, he hasn't drank in a long time, so... Um, like anybody who, I, I don't think he, he does, he, he minds being around it. I mean, if everyone's wasted out of their minds, I mean, if I'm sober, I drink, if I'm sober, I don't want to be around that. So I get it. <laughs> right, right. Um, right. you know, but no, nah, he's not, he doesn't turn his nose up at anything. He's not that, uh, yeah, but the non-alcoholic, yeah, uh, he doesn't drink. So it's good to have a version for him as well. And, uh, the, the vast uh, amounts of other people that don't drink either, um, some other bands have done things like this. Lamb of God out a non-alcoholic out. And uh, I think all those guys are sober, most of them. So it's uh, you, you have to do something that ties directly to every member of the band. So it just made the most sense to have two versions. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of uh, Lamb of God, might as well get into that. I'm guessing it took maybe, what, three to five seconds for you to say yes to jump on, on board the Lamb of God, Megadeth and Trivium tour that's going down uh, the metal tour of the summer. We get you at five, oh, yeah. five Point Amphitheater on September the 1st in Irvine and uh, three to five seconds. Is that about how long it took you to say yes to do that one? I don't even think it took that long. <laughs> One to two. <laughs> I mean, when Megadeth asks you, Lamb of God, we've, we've came up with, man. Those are our bros. We've known them forever. Trivium, too. You know, we all came up together. So when Megadeth asks you to be part of it, you know, part of their track, we're like, yep, done. Because I know from me, uh, I'm sure 
a lot of guys will say this, but you know, you get asked all the time being in a band, a touring band, like, oh, who haven't you toured with? Or who's on your wish list, your bucket list? What bands do you want to tour with? And of course, I think Metallica would be the big one, right? Because everyone wants, they're the whale, they're the big fish. Everyone wants to tour with Metallica. We've done festivals with them, but never like a proper tour. And number two would be Megadeth because they're, you know, if you're a thrash guy, if you're a metal guy, I mean, these are the bands you came up in the 80s, the 90s. These are the bands you listen to, that you thrash to, that you learn to play your instrument to. So these are your heroes. So to be able to hit the stage with these guys, it's like, man, dream come true. It's funny with this tour, like my high school yearbook, a senior, you know, senior year, you know how you can do these quotes under your senior year photo, right? Right. I quoted Mustaine. I quoted Megadeth from Rust in Peace, the song Five Magics in my yearbook. So I, as soon as we got the tour, I went and dug out my high school yearbook and I'm like, all right, I got to have Dave sign my yearbook. <laughs> <laughs> what line was it from Five Magics did you quote? He who lives by the sword will surely also die. He who lives in, in sin will surely live the lie. That's and then so the rad. end of the song comes in and it's the best part ever. Oh my God. Yeah. It had, it just, I don't know. It was, it was pretty evil sounding. It was, it was just wicked sounding. You know, when you're a senior in high school and Rust in Peace was probably my favorite album, one of my favorite albums at the time, I was like, oh, man, this is perfect, you know. And here we are, uh, only five years later since I graduated. It's great. <laughs> and uh, I have my, <laughs> and I have my uh, yearbook here. And yeah, I figured, wow, what, what a cool way to be on this tour and, and ask a guy like Dave Mustaine, hey, will you sign my yearbook? <laughs> <laughs> That's the goal of the whole tour, right, is to get him to sign it at some point. That's the goal, man. That is the goal. I tell, told a couple people about it and they're like, oh, God, that's like a lifetime thing. Lifetime thing. Fan first and foremost, right? Like always been a music fan, always respect that side of it. I've just been very lucky to be in a touring band where I get to tour and play alongside with a lot of my heroes, a lot of these guys that I listened to growing up and, and learned to play my instrument by, you know, these are my influences. So I have plenty of things around the house that are signed by my heroes. And this would just be like one more thing, but how cool that it's my, my high school high school yearbook you know how right. wild is that <laughs> you gotta frame that man that'd be awesome frame it shadow box is gonna go up on the wall perfect you know I, one thing i have to get into with you and there's no way not to uh speaking of old friends and old touring mates and and a big rest in peace to number one joey jordison and you toured with him a ton and any hangs yeah. or memories uh and certainly you could talk about his playing as well Oh, playing-wise, I mean, I remember hearing the Slipknot's first album blew my mind. I was like, God damn, this is the kind of drumming I love, but on steroids now, translated to the now. It just took it to the next level. And the fact that he was one of the principal songwriters, too, he checked all the boxes, man. He, he was just a great musician all around. Touring-wise, uh, early to mid-2000s, we did a lot of stuff with Slipknot, even into the late 2000s, whether it be uh, a Eurofest or we did the OzFest 2004 with them. We did the Unholy Alliance tour with them and Slayer around. Europe. They really looked out for Hatebreed, the band in general, but Joey, you know, he was a big part in, in uh, kind of getting us management early on, hooked up with that. And like, then you go into the major label record deal and then Perseverance comes out and they definitely had a hand in all of that and just giving us a push and bringing us out on the road and giving us support and uh, uh, loving the band, really being fans of the band from back in the day and, and, and just loving what we do and, and helping us out, man. Um, yeah, I have plenty of good stories of, of hanging out with them on tour and everything. I hadn't talked to him in, in recent years, since a little before he wasn't in the band anymore. But And I hear that from a lot of people, actually. Some people, do, he just kind of dropped off and they, he didn't keep as much contact with certain people. You know, it is what it is. I think he was going through uh, changes at that time. But it's really sad, you know. I mean, that's how old I am. So see someone pass away in your age group and you're super, super young. I don't know. It's, it's just a weird feeling. 
Wow. It's so, a really, really weird feeling. It's sad. So Joey specifically helped you get management? Well, yeah. Like what I mean by that is that Slipknot being a huge band at the time and they kind of helped us. They brought us on tour. They just gave us a, a shot. You know, they exposed us to more people and they were being managed by the same management company at the time. Uh, they've since switched it up over the years, but uh, they were being managed by the same company who we are still with now. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the band had a big part in, in uh, giving us a, a push in the early 2000s. One hang, one specific good time with Joey. Remember hanging out, talking whether you're talking drumsticks or partying or whatever it may be? Yeah, sure. Uh, I think it was OzFest 2004. Somebody on the tour had one of these drumometer things. It's a drum pad. It's kind of a trigger that you put on a drum pad. And while you're playing on the drum pad, it counts. You could set a timer and it counts how many hits that you have in that amount of time. So there was a bunch of us, but there was times where it was just me and Joey. Like later at night, the show's over. You know, you're having a couple beers and you have this pad and we're just trying to outdo each other who can be the fastest, uh, you know, as many hits in a certain amount of time. So I'll always remember that. Like there was a certain point in the night, some nights where it was like, all right, you ready? I think it was back and forth. We, we did it so many times. It wasn't just a one-time thing. I think I won sometimes, he won sometimes. Some guys from other bands would jump in. But yeah, it, it was stiff, man. He's, he's a it's stiff competition. He was really fast. <laughs> I can imagine. And just to put a button on it, do you have a, a favorite uh, Slipknot tune that we could play to honor Joey? Probably Eyeless. Love it, man. Matt, last thing I got for you, and to kind of go out on a a happier note, we're an old school radio station. We do every single night, 10 p.m., we worship at the altar of Metallica. We call it Mandatory Metallica. You had mentioned never a tour, but you certainly played with them over the years. Maybe you could talk about any shows, any hangs, or maybe even discovering them. Discovering them, I think my first album I had was Master of Puppets, and uh, that was around the time that I was getting into thrash. I was just being turned on to all those bands all at once, so it's like you get Metallica, and then, whoa, whoa, what's Megadeth? Whoa, Anthrax, Overkill, Testament, boom, 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 Exodus. Yeah, just a fan immediately, you know? That's my favorite album, Master of Puppets. I think a a lot of people might name that one, but I I just think, like, it was so raw, and I think Hetfield's voice was the best on that, and uh, the guitar tone, the drumming was chaotic. That's my favorite. I mean, we've just crossed paths at a lot of European festivals. Those festivals are huge, man. You know, uh, there could be 50 bands on one festival on multiple stages. So just to be able to say, like, yeah, I was on a festival with Metallica, which, I mean, next year, too, we're doing Hellfest, June 2022. Metallica, we're playing their day that festival, too. So we'll get to play with them again. But um, as far as hang stories, no, I never, like, really got close enough to them to be able to, like, really kick back and grow down. Just watching them from afar is great, man. Just if they're playing, we're playing with them. I try to work my way out to front of house and kind of weasel my way behind the barrier and sit there and just absorb the entire show. (laughs) <laughs> I imagine Lars a big influence on, on, on playing for you too especially in the beginning yeah sure yeah I mean I think he catches a lot of flack for being you know whether you like him or not I don't know back in the day he was awesome and you know having those albums and being turned on to him at an early age like yeah he set the bar Dave Lombardo set a bar Charlie Benanti set a bar it was all those guys that influenced me as a drummer those were the guys I was listening to so the faster the better the louder the better the more fills the better you know, and uh, all these guys, they were they were all different in their own way. So it was great to try to absorb each one of them and incorporate what they do into my playing. So, yeah, I'm a fan. I, 
I've been a fan forever. I mean, the more recent stuff, I don't know. I'm not really a big fan of their more recent stuff. You know, like I said, that's where I came from. I came from Kill 'Em All and Master of Puppets and Ride the Lightning. It's very different back then to what it is now. Yeah, no, I'm 100% with you. I think Master of Puppets is their masterpiece is what I meant to say. I think that album yeah. is, is flawless. But now comes the hard part. Now you got to pick a tune to play for Mandatory Metallica. Oh, that's an easy one. Let's do Battery. Battery, just like that. Didn't even have to think twice about it. Nope. One to two seconds. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a, the one that kicks off your favorite album, so it makes complete sense. And the last album for Cliff Burton, tragically. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I've always wanted to uh, go and visit the memorial in Sweden. I don't think we've just ever been up that way or taken that path, but hopefully one day before our touring days are over, I'll be able to see it. Beautiful, Matt. Thank you so much for the time, and I hope to see you out there on uh, September 1st, man. Can't wait to see you play. Awesome. That's great. Yeah, September 1st. My birthday is August 31st, so we'll have to have a beer. Oh, I'd love that, man. Killer, bro. Thanks for having me. I'll see you. Dude, you absolutely rock. Thank you so much for checking out the entire interview. Now just hit subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast, Radioactive Mike Z. My interviews in their entirety, available on all the major platforms. Tune in, Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, whatever you're listening to right now. Just hit the subscribe button. Make sure to give me a follow on the socials as well. I'll follow you back at MikeZ967. And bro, don't miss the radio show. Now 10 p.m to midnight on 96.7 KCAL Rocks in the Southern California Inland Empire area, Riverside, San Bernardino County. Always streaming on live at kcalfm.com. You, my friend, absolutely rock.